I'm your preacher today. Uh, remember, <laughs> y'all, y'all are kind. Uh, I hope that you remember that you're God's beloved children today. Uh, we are going to continue uh, preaching through parts of Jeremiah, where we have our new dwelling passage where Drew has been preaching for the last several weeks, and we are going to pick up in chapter 31. We're going to read a few verses to start uh, the chapter, and then we're going to read some of the verses that come toward the end. And it reads like this. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. And say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd of a flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. Then will the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will give the priests their fill of fatness, and my people will be satisfied with my bounty, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer will they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of God for the people of God. One of the unexpected turns that we might find, in, well, that we do find in Scripture, it might be unexpected for us, is that we would notice if we pay close attention that the people of God throughout the Old Testament and the New find themselves in exile. Abraham left his homeland, left his people, left his family. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt. Moses wandered in the wilderness, and then he did it again with his people. All of Israel found themselves in Babylon, what we've been thinking through and talking through in Jeremiah. 
Even Jesus wandered in the wilderness and eventually was estranged from his family and his people and his nation. Paul is shipwrecked multiple times. He is lost. He is kicked out of cities. Scripture seems to tell us that the faithful always find themselves in exile in some way that those who are faithful to the word and the way of God will find themselves shunned, will find themselves outside the boundaries of the city, will find themselves kicked to the curb, pushed to the side, rejected in one way or another. They will find themselves longing for a home that once was theirs and is no longer theirs. Family who do not share the faith. Friends you cannot hang out with as often. Business practices you can no longer engage in. Lands you can no longer reside in. The faithful seem to find themselves in exile. Logans in the 80s, a couple of folks who wrote a book called Resident Aliens to try and get at this idea. That Christians find themselves both residents and aliens in any place that they might show up in in any country, in any city, in any They are neighbors with those who live there, and yet they're not quite of the place. As I was thinking about how I would preach from this chapter and what I might say that would resonate with what has been said already and push us toward the places we need to go, I actually found myself thinking about what I know about people who live in exile in our world today. I think about immigrants who show up in a new land and find new ingredients to create dishes of food that taste something like what they might remember from home. The potato might be a little bit of a different kind of a potato. The seasoning's just a little bit off, but close enough. And they create new dishes that fascinate the culinary world. New ways of practicing old rituals, whether that's marriage ceremonies or death ceremonies or the like. They show up in a new place and they create something new with the ingredients that they find in that place and among those people. I think about refugees who travel far, far away and have to create whole new cultures, ways of being, new families and communities in strange lands, lands that sometimes have different climates, different languages, and different histories. Earlier this week, I was having a conversation with a Somali man who, when he first moved here with his family, found himself in Minnesota. And going from desert to winter in Minnesota was a shock to their system. And they had to find new ways of practicing old traditions when it was snow that was flying by their face and not dust. I think about those who find themselves newly sick and find themselves feeling like they're strangers in their own bodies who still find ways of creating new futures for themselves and their families, and their friends, and others. I think about those people who never get a chance to leave exile, to go back home, and pass on new legacies for their descendants, who don't always remember the home 
that their ancestors have mourned and left. The ways British and German and Irish and West African cultures have helped to create what we now call American culture, created something new to pass on to descendants who would come after and not remember life in Germany or England or Ireland or Italy or Ghana or Nigeria or any country in Central America. I think about movements happening around the world where indigenous people in Australia and New Zealand and Hawaii and in the Americas are revitalizing languages that were almost killed. We had policies here in the United States where we sent native children to boarding schools where they were punished if they spoke their native language to force assimilation. Canada did something very, very similar. And now there are communities around this continent relearning, teaching themselves a language they never learned how to speak, inventing new ways to say old words because no one remembers how the elders and the ancestors said them. And yet they're creating new worlds for themselves and for others. I'd like to suggest that the Christian faith is a lot like that, like immigrants finding new ways to make old dishes in new places. Like Somalis learning to be Somali in snowbanks instead of in rolling desert hills. I think about those Christians who migrated further and further north from the Middle East up through Europe and decided that decorating a tree could be part of celebrating the birth of their Savior. Christians who found themselves in the areas we now call Germany did that. Christians in other places in other parts of the world did not celebrate Christmas that way, and now we do. Because Christians in exile created new ways of being faithful to old traditions. I've been really lucky to get to travel around the world and have communion or the Lord's Supper with people in multiple continents. I have broken tortillas and chapatis and rice crackers and leavened and unleavened bread with people over wine and grape juice saying prayers in languages more than I can count, remembering the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our shared Lord. Christians throughout the world and across the centuries create new ways of being faithful to old traditions when they come into new lands and new times and new circumstances. In many ways, the Christian faith is this. It is being faithful in exile. Physical, metaphorical, spiritual exile. Perhaps one of the greatest temptations those of us who find ourselves a few generations in to that exile is to resist the duty and the call to choose to be faithful in new ways and new places and choose instead to pine for old ways and old places that might never have been as great as we remember them being. And in the process of always pining for what was once in another place or another time, in the process of doing that, we might miss the new good thing that God is doing today 
in this place, and in this time. I respect Drew a lot for choosing to preach through Jeremiah. I have never chosen to do that here. Partly because Jeremiah is full of really hard words. Words that communicate the judgment of God. Words that reflect on the sting of loss, the pain of oppression, and the trauma of violence. We do not, as Christians in the United States, often preach from the prophets, especially the hardest passages of the prophets, because the words that are there can hurt really deeply. They remind us that there are times that we're not sure that God is being faithful or that God is present or that God's promises are being fulfilled. The prophets give us permission to ask those questions because the words that are found are full of those questions. And it's not always easy to wrap those words up in a nice bow by the end of the sermon so we feel uplifted before we leave. So I have done the cowardly thing and often avoided those passages. But the words of Jeremiah and of the other prophets are not all bleak. The prophets, the book of Jeremiah, is not all Christopher Nolan's Gotham City. If you're familiar with the three Batman movies that were especially dark, literally cinematography, photographically dark, and in the story that was told. It's not all Joker terrorizing the city. Bane coming up through football fields. There is also hope and a vision for the future. A future filled with joy and love and reconciliation and of coming home. Jeremiah has those words as well. In the passage that we read today, Jeremiah shares God's promise that there will soon be coming times when there will be more than enough food and more than enough wine and more than enough oil for the people of God. That the grain and the wine and the oil will overflow. That when young people and old people will dance and sing And those who have been mourning while in exile will be comforted. And those who are starving refugees will be able to grow fat again. God makes the promise. You will have enough food and enough joy that you will go from being terribly skinny to lovingly fat. You will go from being on a diet to having a dad bod. It is God's promise to the people of Israel. And Jeremiah also shares God's promise of a new covenant that will be written on the hearts of God's people. God will be their God, and the exiled will be God's people again, and they will know it again. And forgiveness will fall on everyone who knows the Lord. That law will not be written in stone. It will not be written on parchment. It will be written on the hearts of those who know the Lord. And everyone, we are told, 
will know the Lord. And then, when that law is written on hearts instead of stone, the exiles will join with their God in a new covenant, in a new time, and in new places, with new rituals, and new celebrations, and new practices. Christians throughout the centuries have believed that this is a promise of the new covenant that would come with Christ. That God would fulfill this promise when Jesus shows up and preaches the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain and gives us beatitudes and love your neighbors and good stories that we call parables and ends up getting killed by the state only to be resurrected by God. And that new covenant that we have now doesn't rely even on being written on the papers that we now call the Bible, but will be written on the hearts of those who know God. And that it will spread, not bound by political boundary or city-state or nation-state, but from Jews to Samaritans to Gentiles to those all around the world, regardless of of citizenship or political affiliation or race or gender or socioeconomic class, but that that covenant will be written on the hearts of anyone who would dare to call God their God and to know that God's promises are true. God is always making things new. From the nation of Israel to the promises of covenant. God made a new covenant approximately 2,000 years ago. God continues to make new lives every day. And God has promised a new creation that will come at the end. God is always making old things new. Part of what it might mean to be, for us to be faithful to a God like that is to be ready to live our faith in new ways, in new times, in new places. Jeremiah is full of hard words. Reminders of loss of homes and of relationships, of a homeland and of language, and of a belief in the fulfillment of God's promises. So I want to know if you're sitting here today What hard things are making it hard for you to believe the promises of God? Have you experienced loss that has pushed your faith to the brink? Loss of money or of status or of relationships or of health or of memories or of people? What hard things are pushing you to Waver on your belief in the promises of God. I don't know what they are for any individual sitting in any individual seat here, but I know that there are people in this room who feel like you're in exile. I can't fix that. I can't make all of that experience go away and plop you back into whatever home was for you that job title, that relationship, that place. 
But I can tell you that you're not the first to feel that way. You're probably not the last who will ever feel that way. And that God has been there through all of those centuries with people who feel like they've lost something that was home for them. I also am interested in knowing what new things God has brought into your life. Maybe post-exile. What new people? What new relationships? What new wisdom? What new joy? What new riches has God brought into your life? God is always making things new, even for those in exile. Just like immigrants who find ways to cook their home dishes with new ingredients, God is always making things new, and sometimes even better. One of my favorite foods in all of the world was created in the midst of two immigrant communities in Los Angeles, California, the Korean taco. Put bulgogi and kimchi in a tortilla with some salsa, and it is delicious. And there were two immigrant communities that came together and said, we don't have exactly the same ingredients that we remember from home, but we have a memory, and we create something new. It's what God does with Christians around the world and has done for very long times, whether in your life or collectively. So what new things has God brought into your life? What is your Korean taco? Is there a new spiritual practice or a new community that you call home? Is there a new experience of love or of joy or of faith? And then I want to know, what are the new things that you're still hoping for? This is the United States, so I assume most of us aren't hoping to become fat, but for the people in exile, the Israelites in Babylon, that was the hope. That we wouldn't be starving refugees in exile, but we would be able to have enough for our priests to get fat again. What are the things you're hoping for? What's your spiritual fatness? What do you hope will overflow for you? Wisdom, love, praise. It's okay to keep asking God for those things. God's promise to people in Babylon was this, a new covenant written on your hearts and not written on stone. Oh, and also, you will have enough wine and food to grow fat and dance young people, and old. Both of those things. A new covenant and joy in community. And so for us, collectively, I want to know what new things might we create together, here, now, in light of God's promise to write his covenants on our hearts. Thousands of years after this promise was made, across multiple oceans and centuries, in a new place, with new people, in a new time? What are the new things that we might create together, that we might realize, that we might dance about, that we might get married together about? We 
have done that in small and big ways here. Relationships we've created that didn't once exist. Gardens that exist, at least in the spring and the summertime. Ministries that exist now that once didn't. An influence on the lives of this, uh, uh, of people in this city and in this community. And things we haven't even thought about or felt brave enough to dream about that we could be doing here. What new thing might we create in our attempt to be faithful in a new way in this new place, in this new time? If we do that together, if we hope for the new thing that God might be doing among us, and if we are faithful in bringing it into uh, fruition, my question then is how we can be the promise of God to a world estranged from God. How can we be God's promise of a new uh, covenant to a world in exile? From at least Abraham, God's faithful have found themselves, quote unquote, leaving home and finding ways to be faithful in new places with new people. Part of the invitation to become a Christian is to go into exile, to start a journey, to begin wandering, not knowing the final destination, but knowing that the God you are putting your trust in is true to his promises. That's part of the invitation, not to know all the details of the end point, but knowing that wandering through that wilderness is worth it because that God is good, that God is just, that God is love, and that God is true to his promises, even when they don't look the way we might have thought, even when the promise becomes a new covenant on hearts when you are away from home. But still, you will have enough to grow fat and to dance and to see God be true to his promises. So, whatever exile you might be experiencing now or have experienced in the past or will experience again in the future, know this. However hard the words are that you have to use to describe what has happened, know this. There is still hope, and there is still joy, and there is still love, because there is still the God who made that promise that came to fruition in a man born in, Naz- uh, born in Bethlehem, Jesus of Nazareth, who ate with sinners and loved his enemies and was so threatening to those who wanted to create something like a place that was not exile that they killed him, only for God to raise him and say, this is the new covenant. No matter where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what century you live in, what nation your feet might be standing in at any moment, God is the God of those in exile and will make something new and something beautiful Again. And so the invitation for you today, for us today, is to take God at his word and say those hopes. Lean into that future. 
It's okay to want to dance and be fat again. It's also okay to know that God's covenant is not written on stone. It's written on hearts. And it shows up in the world in new ways. Every time there's another heart, in another time, in another place. The Christian faith is an exile faith. Let's lean into that rather than leaning into whatever else we might want to create as something that will feel safer and more familiar and more comfortable. God doesn't always do the same thing in the same way. Sometimes it looks like someone born of a virgin, killed on a cross, and raised to life in a borrowed tomb. God is a God of exile. What is your hope, whatever your exile is today? God will keep his promises.